0: Amen. Go ahead and have a seat, everybody. Uh, welcome to NBC. If it's uh, your first time with us, we're particularly glad you're here, whether you're joining us online or on the roof or right here in the Ritz Theater. Uh, there's so much good stuff going on in our church right now. It's actually kind of overwhelming uh, as a pastor right now. You kind of, everywhere I look, I see little flashes of God doing his thing. Uh, we've got the F Conference coming here next weekend, and the registrations for that are awesome. Uh, we baptized, uh, I don't know, let's see, 14 uh, last Sunday in the Pacific, Uh, I could look at the fact that our Young Adults Ministry is kind of relaunched and off and going, and of course, I get the privilege of being able to preach the Word of God on a given weekend, and what an honor and privilege that is, especially when you're talking about Jesus. Uh, We've been in this series we're calling Storyline, and we've been looking at how God interacts with His people, how He kind of breaks in in different ways, and we've looked at everything from the very beginning of creation when He creates everything. Uh, that we're now standing upon and never will stand upon, and and all the way through last week we looked at David and the king, and of course one of the promises that's made to David is that there will never cease to be a descendant of his on the throne. Israel may have thought to themselves, you know, this is it, this is as good as it's going to get, David is the man after God's own heart, he is this amazing king, the one that God has made the promise to, so maybe it's all downhill from here, oh no, 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 God was just getting started. The real king, the one that would be called the son of David, was yet to come. And in John chapter 1, where we're going to be today in our Bibles, he says some amazing things about Jesus in a very compact, nice little package. Three verses in John chapter 1, but he says a ton and tells us essentially Jesus is the beginning, the middle, and the end of the story. The whole story is about him. So, He's even going to go further. He's going to say there really isn't a beginning or a middle or an end, that Jesus has always been, he always will be. And so there was never this point in time like for you and I where we have like a birthday and we have all these things in the way that you and I have a birthday. He's eternal, and he's the beginning of the story. He's there. He's in the middle of the story. And if there was an end, he would be at the end of the story, but there's never even going to be an end to the story. So here's what John says. We're going to read verses... uh, 1 to 3, and then verse 14 of John chapter 1. He says, In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. All right, so this morning I'm going to do a little bit more teaching than I usually do, and I hope that that'll be okay with you. I hope so. Uh, Because if we don't get into Jesus and we don't understand who it is that we're dealing with later when he's telling parables and performing miracles, that part of what makes it such a big deal is who he is. So if you don't really do any digging into who he is, then you often kind of pass by it. Maybe you've, you, you know, you've passed by somebody uh, on the street or something like that and you had no idea who they were. John chapter 1, it alludes to that. He says, you know, he, he was here and the light came into the world, but the world didn't recognize him. They didn't see him. It's like, like when he was here on earth, they had no sense of, of scale. They had no idea that he was who he was. And we don't want to be that way either. He opens with this deep, what you would call Christology, these words of scripture that just in a few words give us this amazing insight into who Jesus is. He wants us to know that Jesus is more than we could ever dream, and he gets the message across just fine. So even as we read the first verses of John, we sense that we're preparing to encounter someone that's unique and special. And some people have said, you know, the question of our time is not, is there a God or not, but which one? And John's going to say there's only one, There's only one God. There's only one king. His name's Jesus. That he is God. He was in the beginning with God. He created everything. He is everything. So when we sing a song like we just did and we just call out the name of Jesus and we say all these great things about the name of Jesus, it's true, but it's probably even an understatement that there's nothing we can say with our mouths that is big enough to give him the glory that's due his name. So, as we read through the Gospel of John, and again, we could pick Matthew, and Matthew, he kind of opens the book by walking you through the cemetery. He goes through this genealogy of Jesus to tie him back to David, and so his way of kind of introducing us to our spiritual kinfolk, if you will, is to walk us through the cemetery. Hey, there's uncle so-and-so, and and there's grandpa so-and-so and everything, and so you can miss that if you're not paying attention, that's what he's doing. And In Luke, you get, of course, you get uh, the birth narratives and, and all of those kinds of things, the Christmas stories that we read. In uh, Mark, Mark in typical fashion, is always in a hurry with everything he says. So in the first 20 verses, you know, Jesus is born, John the Baptist comes, John the Baptist is killed, and, and the next thing you know, Jesus is preaching in the synagogues by the end of chapter one. So everything in Mark is very fast. In John, it's all about trying to help people recognize the power and the profundity of who Jesus Christ is Is, so I'm going to give you three things that he says there in those first few verses. We're going to start here. Number one, he says Jesus is eternal. All right, what does that mean? Means he never started, he'll never end. He always has been. Now for us, that's really hard to do in our mind because everything we exist in this time and space. And and when I ask you when your birthday is, you can give me a date. At least your parents told you that's when you were born, right? uh, and you know I do a lot of funerals, and I'm there at the end for a lot of people as well. And there's an end. What John says here in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Okay, it, it's 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 easy for us to kind of take Jesus, the human being, the one we only read about in the Gospels, and say that that's it. Yeah, Jesus, great guy like MLK was a good guy, uh, like Teddy Roosevelt was a good guy, uh, like whoever was a good guy, like Gandhi was a good guy or whatever. No, no, no. There is, this is a key distinction between them. Those guys are verifiably no longer with us. Uh, and they were not always with us. But Jesus is different. He always has been. He always will be. And he always has been, and he always will be, and he always has been, and he always will be, right? That that what we read about Jesus in the pages of Scripture is really this snapshot of an eternal Christ's life among us as someone who empties himself and then comes here to earth and lives as one fully human and fully divine. So it's not taught a lot today, but it's very important that we get this. John 1, 1 and 2 again, it says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. And he was with God in the beginning. All right. So at Christmas, this kind of sounds like, some of you have heard me preach that text at Christmas. Uh, Call it Christmas in February then. Uh, That's what we're doing here today. What's the point of Jesus coming to earth? It's God definitively putting the exclamation point on his efforts to redeem us from the mess we created. And it's through this one, through Jesus. And because he's eternal, it took somebody, can't just be a guy. There's nobody good enough to come here and just live and then die and then be good enough. There's nobody that can do that. It takes somebody better than that, somebody better than us. Or it would have been done. It's never been done. We've never been able to do it. And so God sends his son who empties himself. We read about in Philippians chapter 2. He comes to earth and does this, but it's important we understand he's eternal. You know, we think in terms of, of special days and things like that, like now it's always National Something Day. Like today happens to be National Public Sleeping Day. So, some of you have already observed that here in the Ritz Theater today, um, so good for you. But, but it is, it's National Public Sleeping Day. All right, we, we have a day for everything. And in fact, when we have somebody we think is really unique or really special, we give them their own day, right? Uh, In the city of such and such, they'll take this person who made them proud and say, this is National Carrie Underwood Day. This is National whatever. We're going to come up with a day for it. We've got Martin Luther King Day because he was a good guy, made a huge impact on the society. We've got President's Day weekend. We just celebrated it, right? And there are people who, when they come to church, they kind of view it that way, that he's not eternal. They, They view it as though like they're celebrating Jesus Day. But what John's trying to say is he didn't have a day. He didn't have a beginning. He didn't have an end. Every day is his day. Every day you live is his day. Every day that's ever been lived was his day. So he's not like us. I mean, we, you know, I, I'm old enough now to, to, to be told, you know, when you're young, some people will, will come up like when you're dating and stuff, they'll, they'll tell you, hey, you know, you look good or whatever, or hey, you're handsome. Hey, I think you're attractive, or whatever. Some people will say that to people. Well, here's the funny part: like, you get to a certain age, and then people start adding this one little tagline after it. Do you know what it is? <laughs> for your age, right? You're, yeah, you're not. You know, you're, you're okay for your age. You know, f- what does that mean? Well, I know what it means. It means that as you get older, you know, you get f- flabbier, and you get liver spots and wrinkles and varicose veins or whatever, whatever age punishes you with. Okay. And then, so they add that as a way of saying essentially among flabby, rotting people, you're not bad. Okay. (laughs) So I say, we got some amens going in the house. You know what I'm talking about, right? So what, what, what he's trying to say is he is not a big deal for his age. He's just a big deal because he doesn't have an age. That there's no point in time where he was not a big deal. He's always been there. He always will be there. And what we see in the Gospel of John and throughout the the narratives that we read in the New Testament is not just uh, that of a snapshot of a guy who dies at 30 or 33 years old, and then goes on, and now we declare Easter and Christmas, essentially National Jesus Day. And we celebrate it just like we do MLK Day or whatever. And now, yeah, we, re- we think he was a really important person. John goes, no, oh, no, 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 no. He grabs us by the lapel, and he says, oh, no, 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 no. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Amen. And then he adds this, Jesus is creator. John 1, 3. Through him, all things were made. We don't often think of Jesus in those terms because, again, we, we tend to think about Jesus the human being first, because it's a little easier to get our hands on. We can read about him. We can we can see how he walked the earth and how he did these different things. But 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 the the nature of Jesus as Creator means that whenever you stand up next, you you will never put your foot on a piece of ground that he did not create. That whenever you look whether you're attractive, period, or attractive for your age, or ugly for your age, or ugly, period, you will not ever look into the mirror on a person who he did not create. You will never set your eyes on a person who is not created in his image. You will never interact with a person that he doesn't love more profoundly than you can imagine. He created it all. And the fact that he's eternal and that he's creator makes his coming to the earth all the more amazing. We celebrate him coming uh, in flesh. We celebrate the arrival of the Savior, and rightfully so. But we also need to realize that the Christmas story, if you will, begins with this, this self-emptying and a great departure from heaven and all of its glory. And that's what makes it so amazing. The creator coming down to interact with his creation. That's the storyline. The God and his people. That the one who created us and fashioned us with his own hands, knit us together in our mother's womb, took it upon himself to come here and actually interact with us, to love us on a daily basis, to teach us how we're supposed to live, to role model for us what it's supposed to be like. Okay, well, why, why does it matter? Because if we don't understand that he's eternal and he's creator, then we tend to shrink wrap him and we tend to try to manipulate who he was and who we think he was by projecting what we wish he were onto him. Kevin DeYoung, pastor up in Minnesota, uh, kind of spliced this out in a blog post he did. I thought it was kind of funny, so I'm going to read it to you real quickly. He talks about the different kinds of Jesuses, the ways we project who we wish he were onto him. He says, there's the Republican Jesus who's against tax increases and activist judges for family values and owning firearms. There's Democrat Jesus. He's against Wall Street and Walmart for reducing our carbon footprint and printing money. There's Therapist Jesus who helps us cope with life's problems, heals our past, tells us how valuable we are and not to be so hard on ourselves. There's Starbucks Jesus who drinks fair trade coffee, loves spiritual conversations, drives a hybrid and goes to film festivals. There's Open-Minded Jesus who loves everyone all the time no matter what except for people who are not as open-minded as you. There's touchdown Jesus who helps athletes run faster, jump higher than non-Christians and determines the outcomes of Super Bowls. There's martyr Jesus, a good man who died a cruel death so we can feel sorry for him. There's gentle Jesus who was meek and mild with high cheekbones, flowing hair, walking around barefoot, wearing a sash and looking very German. There's hippie Jesus, hippie Jesus who teaches everyone to give peace a chance, imagines a world without religion and helps us remember that all we need is love. There's yuppie Jesus who encourages us to reach our full potential, reach for the stars and buy a boat. There's spirituality Jesus who hates religion, hates churches, hates pastors, priests, and doctrine who would rather have people out in nature finding the God within while listening to ambiguously spiritual music. There's platitude Jesus, good for Christmas specials, greeting cards, bad sermons, inspiring people to believe in themselves. There's revolutionary Jesus who teaches us to rebel against the status quo, stick it to the man and blame things on the system. There's guru Jesus, a wise, inspirational teacher who believes in you and helps you find your center. There's boyfriend Jesus who wraps his arms around us as we sing about his intoxicating love in our secret place. There's good example Jesus who shows you how to help people change the planet and become a better you and then there's jesus christ the son of the living god not just another prophet not just another rabbi not just another wonder worker the one they had been waiting for the son of david And Abraham's chosen seed, the one to deliver us from captivity, the goal of the Mosaic law, Yahweh in the flesh, the one to establish God's reign and rule, the one to heal the sick, give sight to the blind, freedom to the prisoners, proclaim good news to the poor, the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. And John says he's eternal, he's creator, and we're just getting started. Do we got it? You know what I'm saying? Amen. 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 That's who he is. That's who he is. So he's not a reflection of the current mood or a projection of our desires. He's our Lord. He's our God. He's a Father, Son, Savior of the world, substitute for our sins more loving, more holy, more wonderfully terrifying than we ever thought possible. And that leads him to this one, big number three. He's God. In verse 1 of chapter 1, John says, and the Word was God. When Jesus came to earth, the greatest single act of God on humankind's behalf was put into motion. We call it the Incarnation. God sent His Son into the world because of His never-ending love. As John would say a couple chapters after this, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And then we, we often stop there. Verse 17 is important. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. So as He opens His recounting of the greatest story ever told, He reminds us, of the redemptive intent of the incarnation, that he came to save the world, not to condemn it. We often get things backwards. We feel like, it's like like when you're in the house of somebody who goes on a diet and they start dieting and you don't, you feel judged by them. Like, oh, I probably should be dieting too, doggone it, you know. And every time they tell you how good they're doing and you're not doing as well, you kind of feel judged automatically by what they're doing. So, people take it that way, right? When Jesus comes to earth, he lives such a good life, they feel like in some ways they feel judged by it. Uh, that Jesus came into the world to offer himself as a, living sacri- or as a sacrifice for us, and that in so doing, we, feel we are judged by what he does. Uh, it really shouldn't surprise us. If the intent is the love of God that when Jesus comes that the redemptive intent behind it is also good and gracious i remember i took a class a couple years ago at columbia and it was on strategy and i had this old brit his name was willie peterson as a teacher great guy in the early 80s when he's got been around the block been ceo of a ton of companies and early in the class i remember him sitting there and going <clears throat> he was a brit so i'll use his accent you know, he's got these big glasses. Let me ask you, why are there breaks on cars? Now, of course, we're sitting there, These are some of the smartest people in the world, sitting around in the classroom, people that run big companies and everything, and of course, we're all like, so you can stop. And he's wrong. <laughs> so you can go fast. And I thought to myself, you know what? He's right. Break. You don't need brakes if you've already stopped. You need brakes if you're moving, right? That the way that we tend to see things that slow us down is by nature caution, fear. People think that Jesus comes into the world to give us this measuring stick that we have to try to live up to. No, 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 no. He says that he comes that we might have life And have it to the full. He comes to the earth, so proverbially speaking, we can go fast. That we can live the life we were always intended to live. Jesus didn't come to earth to keep us from living abundantly, but to make it so that we could. He's what allows us to live the way that we were always intended to live. And so this awe-inspiring description of Jesus that John provides us in chapter 1 should mature the way that we think about him. And it should make us understand that what he does when he comes to this earth is not something that's designed to make us feel condemned. Now, if we do that, if we feel condemned, it still didn't mean he did anything wrong. Sometimes what it means is his voice is loud enough for us to hear it finally, as opposed to other voices. There was a, there's a sociologist up at UC Berkeley, he's retired now, but his name is Robert Bella. Uh, He wrote a book called Habits of the Heart. That's a classic um, text in the field of sociology. So he, he, does a whole section in there in fact most of the book is actually about the religious habits of people and he talks to a woman in there he interviews her her name is sheila i respect every woman named sheila because my mom's name is sheila but she's wrong here here's what happens she says i believe in god i can't remember the last time i went to church though but my faith has carried me a long way it's called sheilaism just my own little voice And I read that, and I go, boy, that's the, that's like the way that that people think, right? It's like, I don't need church, I don't need doctrine, all I need is my own little voice. But the question I would ask Sheila, respectfully, is if there's a God, shouldn't his voice be louder than yours? If there's a God, wouldn't it make sense that his voice would be louder? That it ought to be louder than my own. Because the incarnation of Christ, when Jesus comes to earth, he's calling us, John does it here in chapter one, to recognize that something larger than Sheilaism or Timism is at work in the world. That the kingdom of God can be seen perfectly in Jesus. So as Jesus lives today in heaven and among his followers, the ministry uh, mesmerizes us. His ministry does to the point that we should try to live it out, that on a daily basis, who I am, what I'm doing, is something God is trying to lead me to live that way, not in order to condemn me, but to say, if you want to know what life is like, why I gave you life to begin with, if you want to know what abundant life looks like, it looks like this. And it's Jesus walking in full obedience to the Father. So it sets, you know, as he becomes the word made flesh, it sets in motion this ability that I have now to look and to see, okay, this is what the kingdom life looks like. If you were going to live in full obedience and surrender to God, it would look like this. And what God offers us then is more than words. He offers us his very self. Jesus shows us what a human life looks like when God's word is lived out perfectly. He becomes the word, the eternal word, created all things, empties himself, and then comes as the word made flesh. So in Jesus, God says, I love you in the most powerful ways. He says, let there be peace on earth. He says, those who believe will be saved. He says, I will be with you always. And that's the voice of God that trumps Timism, Sheilaism, or any other isms out there. It's about the eternal creating son and word of God, emptying himself and coming to earth. So when I hear a parable read, or I watch a miracle be performed, it's different than when I hear, you know, uh, my grandfather tell a story. It's different than when I read an Aesop's fable. It's different. Uh, When I see him perform a miracle, uh, it's not that he's a magician. It's that he's a miracle worker. That's right. And I'm watching the very power of God in human form come to this earth and make, it, make, make himself known in powerful ways. We often act sometimes, I think, like going back to the eternal peace real quick. You know, when we, when we do everything, whether it's taking communion, we act like we're celebrating something that happened in the past. It's not. No, we're, we are remembering his earthly death, but his earthly death. Only leads to back into this kind of timeless life that he lives. He says in verse 18, John does of chapter 1, no one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. Amen. So he invites us to this way of life. It's a roller coaster. It's like a roller coaster. Here's what I mean. When you ride a roller coaster, what makes them fascinating and awesome is that you have two competing emotions at the same time. One, I know that this has been worked on by engineers. (laughs) I know that it is safe. I know that it has been tested. I know that I will be secured inside with lap belts and these pullover thingies. Uh, I know all of that, okay? And at the same time, you m- marry that to this feeling that we're all going to die, okay? That, that's the feeling th- of a roller coaster, and that's why people love them, right? It's the tension of we're going to die and we're not going to die. Maybe we will, though. I don't know. I feel like I might. This might be the day. Yeah, but this is awesome. And all of those things going together. I'm suggesting to you, that that's the style of life that you're invited into. That when it's lived out right, anybody who says that being a Christian is boring ain't living it. Amen. It, is la- it is that. It is that feeling of, you know what? This is amazing. And I know Jesus called me to this. And I know he's watching over us. And I know that he's greater than everything out there. And he wouldn't call us out here to get destroyed. I know all of that. And at the same time, I feel like I'm going to die. Right. I feel like this is crazy. Yep. I feel like this makes no sense at all. And you hold them in tension at the same time. And that's the style of life he invites us to. And so he says, hey, listen, I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And we say, amen. That's right. And then you get in the car and you hear the click, 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 click as you go up, as you start living it out. And you go, oh, no. Oh no. And so most peop- and so most people, they back off then, and they go, "Oh, you know what? Hey, I'm going to stop doing that. I'm going to stop giving it everything, because just in case we are going to die, I want to make sure that I can get off the ride whenever I want to. So sometimes, instead of riding that thing on a daily basis, if you will, they decide they're going to do it annually, at Christmas, they're going to do it annually, at Easter. They decide that I'm just going to do it, because I'm not sure. I'm not really, really sure that he doesn't call us to a life of ease, nor is it 100 percent suffering. It's the most exciting, amazing life that this world offers. There is nothing like it. The Christ life is the most amazing life that this world can offer you. And the world doesn't offer it to you, it's King Jesus that offers it to you. So all I'm going to suggest to us this morning is that no matter what we do, when we enter this life, okay, you can't go into, and he uses the themes of light and dark a lot in John 1. You can't really live in the light until you acknowledge the dark and then you need the light to come in. And what he's saying to us is that Jesus came in and now the light is here. Now the question is, do we recognize it or not? Do we recognize it? Jesus knows you. Do you know him? Do you know that one who came to this earth, died on your behalf, came into this dark place as the light and offers you that trip. That's right. Here's what it means. It means you it means you follow his example every day. It means you get out of bed. You lay your life back on the altar. You might even want to do it while you're still in bed. As soon as you obtain consciousness in the morning, you simply say, God, my life is here for you. Do with it what you will. And then you stay sensitive to the promptings of the Holy Spirit, the scriptures, and the examples that are there. And you keep going day by day by day by day. So, next week we'll look at Jesus' first miracle. And when we do, understand what makes it so amazing. It's not just that he's a guy who's able to do this, he's not some Siegfried and Roy, right. he's not some David Copperfield. He is the Word, the eternal Word of God made flesh. Right. We remember him now as we gather around the Lord's table. And we do this every week here at New Vintage Church. We take what's called communion. Uh, so you should have gotten a little bag when you came in. Uh, if if you, We're trying to keep everybody healthy, so uh, we're doing it in bags right now. But uh, there should have been a little piece of cracker and some juice. If you didn't get one and you would like one, uh, we do have some ushers. You can put your hand in the air and just hold it there. No shame in that game. That means you were either really early or really late, and that's okay. Uh, we accept all people, even the tardy in, this, in the kingdom. Or the, and, and God loves the early more, though. No, I'm just kidding. He doesn't. <laughs> so uh, you see the hands. We'll get them to you. And when we do this, we do this every week because they did it every week, and it gives us a chance to sit and reflect on Jesus and what he did for us. So I'm going to read this text again to us as our prayer. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And Father, now as we celebrate this meal that Jesus asked us to do in remembrance of him, we remember him and we say, we want your voice to be louder than the other's. Father, we want to live the kind of life that we know has some danger to it. But it's exciting, and it's amazing, and it's awesome, Father. We want that front row seat to see how you're working in the lives of the people that you created. So, Father, for the eternal word, the creator, the word made flesh, Father, we give you thanks and we remember him now as we take communion. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.